I'm Mike Veerman. I'm a writer, producer, and director for the Bell Creative Agency at Much. And this is the Mike on Much podcast. Welcome to episode three. I'm sitting here with my friend and producer, Max Kerman. Producer is a very like official term. I know. I like it. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I like saying, like, I'm a producer. I know. I, I heard you already put it on your business card. I put it on my Twitter handle. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. Seriously? Max underscore Kerman, co-creator slash producer of the Mike on Much podcast. Oh, man. I know. We're high-fiving right now. I hope that the mics picked that up. Yeah. Max, yeah. how was your weekend? I had a good weekend. We missed you, though. Uh, for our listeners, Arkells uh, play an annual show up in Muskoka, Ontario, at the Key to Bala. Mm. It's, it's a great time. Uh, it's a bit of a reunion for all of our friends. There's about 50 of us that go up there. They, they go to our friend Jay's cottage. They get drunk. They, a school bus takes them to the gig. There is a party bus that takes people from the cottage to the Key to Bala. Yeah, and it's great. And uh, our one friend, Julian, uh, is proud to say he's been kicked out for his fifth year in a row of the show. As far as I can tell, Julian's... Only crime every year is taking his shirt off yeah. and being sort of really enthusiastic. Yeah, but bouncers don't like it when you take your shirt off. I guess. Yeah. So Julian uh, got kicked out uh, of the show once again. We saw it happen from the stage. Uh, he had his shirt Seriously? off. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was hilarious. Nick and I were both laughing <laughs> as he was getting carried out. Did they carry him? Oh, yeah. So basically what happened was Julian- What, what song were you? Uh, it was later in the set. Okay. I, I, I could see him about halfway through the show- kind of charging towards the stage because he was probably upset that he hadn't been kicked out yet. So he's like, what do I got to do to get kicked out? So he, he took off his shirt, which is his, which is his go-to move. The bouncer told him to put the shirt back on. And then he just put the shirt on his head because he thought he's like, I'm putting it on my head. And then uh, a bouncer started to escort him out. And on his way out, he started high-fiving all the other bouncers. Uh, were they giving him high-fives? I don't think so. I don't think they were very pleased with him. Uh, and then Sam, his girlfriend or fiance, posted a photo of him uh, flexing with the shirt off outside of the venue and she said fifth year in a row this is my honey or something like that good times yeah so you missed that hey wait a second actually uh, uh, for our uh, listeners our friend and pop culture aficionado shane cunningham was a part of this trip was shane up there did you see shane yeah uh he was up there uh he wasn't very social he was kind of in a weird mood our uh his his ex ex ex-girlfriend is now dating the drummer of the band that was opening the show. Right. And everybody knows Shane's a little sensitive, and so we're all on high alert. So as Julian was being carried out by bouncers, I just saw him pass Shane, and Shane was just sort of staring blankly at the wall. <laughs> but I think I think he's doing okay. Um, yeah, but then after, uh, after the show, we all got on the party bus, uh, we went back to the cottage. There was some skinny dipping. Oh, there you go. Never. I'm not, I don't think I've ever been skinny dipping before. Did you get nude? Uh, briefly. Semi-nude. Semi-nude. You like to keep it classy. Yeah, I guess being in a bathing suit is semi-nude, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it really, yeah. Yes, that's semi-nude. So, so what, like, were you, did you kind of... Yeah, I was just briefly, and then I was like, I shouldn't be doing this, and I, you know, put my pants back on and, and continued swimming. All right, but Max, we have a great show today. I'm very excited. We have Menover Stieg, the lead singer of Colorado, and we also have Annie Murphy, one of the lead actresses in CBC's Schitt's Creek. And what do they have in common, Mike? Well, they're married, Max. They're married. And uh, for our listeners, this was actually the first interview that we ever did. It's very true, yeah. yeah. When we conceived of this podcast, you know, I knew that I'd be interviewing people and that, that was pretty exciting to me, but I thought for the first one, you know, it'd be one-on-one. And Max, ease you into it. Yeah, I thought I would ease into it. And I got a call from Max. He's like, 
I got us our first interview. You're interviewing Men of Rustique from Colorado and Andy Murphy from Schitt's Creek. It's going to be awesome. They're married. You'll have a lot to talk about. I'm like, Max, I've never interviewed one person. How am I going to interview two people? And, and yeah, I'm like very optimistic and I think very highly of you. I was like, Mike, there's nothing to worry about. They'll have lots of stories. They'll be great. And sure enough, that's sort of how it worked out. <laughs> and then I remember after they left, because they did the interview in this very apartment. Let's set the scene. So- this is what you need to know. I've never done a long form interview. I've never done a short form interview. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden I am interviewing uh, two people at once. And I got to split the time because they're both, uh, you know, equally compelling. You know, one's the lead singer of a band that's toured the world. One is now starring on a, a national television show. All right. So I, so I call Mike. I say, Mike, my friend Menno from Colorado, his wife, Annie, they're in. They're going to do the podcast. We're gonna, we got to interview them. I'm like, where are we going to interview them? We're going to interview them at your apartment. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, and I said, get those goddamn cats out of here. <laughs> so I'm like, I've got these cats running around. My place is kind of messy. I've got the singer of Colorado coming over and the actress from Schitt's Creek. I'm like, I got to clean my place. You keep pretty tidy though, right? I you? keep tidy. Yeah. Nah, not necessarily clean. You know, yeah, I don't yeah, dust or anything. There's like a that. difference, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, but I, I got to set up the place and I got to do my research. I've never done an interview before. And so I'm kind of having a bit of a, a panic attack. And you're like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. You think everything's going to be great. Yeah, though. that's true. And so I, and I think everything's going to probably fall apart. So I'm trying to do my research and they're on their way over here. And then finally they knock on the door. And long story long, they couldn't have been nicer. And, uh, more patient with me as a novice interviewer. After they left, we sort of looked at each other. We hugged. I think we embraced for like a solid 10 seconds. And we're like, we did it. And we, we called Shane and me. Look, Shane, we did the interview. And then like a couple weeks later, we were talking about that day. And he was like, yeah, it's like you guys had just done a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> we were very excited. Yes. yes. All right, let's get to it. I actually asked Menno today. I was like, do you think they're going to ask us how we met? Yeah, yeah of course. And, and I was like, I'm just going to say it. Nothing to be... <laughs> came here to tell the story. Yeah, 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 yeah this yeah, is yeah. an open, honest conversation we're going to have. Um, can we say Oh, it's a okay. podcast. I've been trying not to swear as much, but it hasn't been working out very well. It Don't is. censor yourself. Okay. All right, go. Thanks for coming. No problem. Thank Thanks for having, having us. us. I think we're going to start with Annie because you're on a show called Shit's Creek, and I feel yeah. like there's billboards of you literally everywhere in the city right now. <laughs> so All right, weird. that's the moment the tides just officially turned. <laughs> there it was. That was the exact second. You, you wanted to go first? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, it's been like it's been a really, really bizarre, incredible year of my life. Um, after like seven solid years of not incredible, exciting <laughs> things, right? Um, yeah, pretty so, dark there for a second. No, no, not not right <laughs> off the bat. I didn't mean it to get dark that fast. There's already tears. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> it's a deep podcast. Inconsolable already. Uh, no, yeah. It, uh, so I I booked the role last March, and it's just kind of been this bizarre whirlwind of um, pinching myself and and working, like actually working as an actress. Yeah, for the first time. What was the process like getting it? I mean, did you? Did you audition? Yeah, so should I went we, to- Should we start with the day before you got the audition? Okay, well, yeah. So let's, let's, let's get it, dark. Yeah. Let's go, let's let's go, go right there. Um, so the, I was in LA for pilot season after doing three pilot seasons of just like pounding the pavement and just n- nothing happening. Had you been doing that for the last seven years? Like always no, going down? No, so I'd been, I guess this was my fourth, last year was my fourth pilot season. And LA was always this really, really daunting, scary place for me. Uh, but Menno came with me last year for All moral, years. moral support. Except for one, when I left on tour. Yeah, when you left on yeah, tour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was there and, and it was just, 
I would get so anxious before these auditions and a lot of the auditions I was going in for were really f- terrible audition like pieces pieces the roles were like tv tv shows or shitty movies or whatever like imagine american stuff that doesn't make it because it's too bad like (laughs) you know the pilots for like the the show that's gonna be the other version of two and a half men but it's not even good enough yeah imagine playing like you know the girlfriend of a guy on that like you know are ugh that's Anyways, interesting. So, yeah. but, I mean, that's an interesting point because, like, how do you, as an actress, as somebody that's you know, you really want to do the work for you know the art, the artistic endeavor. Yeah. How do you sort of reconcile that in your brain? Like, oh, I'm reading something that I don't, I'm not really feeling, but I, I want the work. Well, I mean, and that was it, and it was kind of at a point with me that I, I, I'd been coming so so close to so many parts, uh, some of which I really liked, some of which I didn't, but it was at a point where I was like, F- I need to make money and I'd really like to make money acting but it was at a point where it was like well maybe I'm gonna have to just you know get a day job and focus on that for a little while there's been a couple like messages on the answering machine or car rides or whatever where the the topic is I'm gonna be a secretary I better learn how to type faster I'm never gonna do good at this call my agent and get me typing lessons <laughs> Um, inconsolable yeah it's like it was rocky and like just after so much putting so much energy into something that either you really like or even worse putting energy into something that you think is a real piece of shit but and then getting rejected for that (laughs) right like so anyway so we were just I was at a point where I was I was kind of at the end of my rope a little bit and LA was really a heavy heavy load to carry. Um, How long were you down there? A month and a half last year. Wow. And you were there for the full month and a half as well, Mano? Yeah. Yeah. I came down with you that time. Yeah. That was awesome. So, but anyway, so the day before I got this audition, I had a really brutal audition. I just like butchered it and- For a big part too. For a big part. Oh, it was, it was a test. It was my first test for a big NBC pilot. And I, it was like, they could make a, a skit about it. It was just like everything went terribly wrong. And, and so did you test with like another actor that was already cast? N- no, no. It was just in this big auditorium full of like 15 angry looking executives. <laughs> right. Um, and so I, I did it and I butchered it and I, I just like hit this wall. And so that, that whole day, I guess the, the next morning I woke up and I had an audition and I was like, I'm not doing it. Can't do it. And I just, I cried literally from the moment that I woke up, uh, well into the morning, took a little break for lunch and then kept crying. And then I was like, get, I was in, the like, get in the car. And I was like, I don't ever want to get anywhere ever again. <laughs> I don't want to. So then he's, he, he like bundles me into the car and drives me to the ocean and he's like, get out of the car. And I was like, no. He's like, we're going swimming. And I was like, I don't like swimming. <laughs> Even though I love swimming in the ocean. I hated everything that day. And so he like gets me to the shore. It's cold. Shore. February in LA. Yeah. 
Yeah, like drags me to Freezing. the shore. You still made her get in the ocean. And yeah, yeah. He's like, take off your clothes. And I was like, it's cold, man. Out. And he's like, take them off. So we like take off our clothes on this public beach. Right down to our underwear. And like, and you know, kind of throw ourselves into the water. And the only me other- crying the whole time, by the way, just still just this horrible wreck of a human. The only other person that there was like one guy like walking in the distance, and then there there's a couple sleeping on the beach under sleeping bags, and the guy. Uh, what the guy of the couple, his leg was slipping, um, was out under the bottom of the sleeping bag, and there was a um, what do you what was it, those bracelets they give criminals for their legs? Oh, oh, yeah, like a tracking uh, bracelet, like a tracking yeah, yeah, yeah. thing on oh, his I leg. And I was like, wow. I just, anyway, that's one thing that sticks in my head from that day. The criminal having a nap. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry um, to interrupt. Uh, well, no, but so we like went into the ocean and cried in the ocean, and then came out of the ocean. Did it work? And, Did you feel reborn? Well, no. I was like, <laughs> I'm cold, and now I taste like salt. And, but then uh, I got back in the car. Before we got in the car, a guy walked. The guy who was walking the distance walked up to us, and he looks at us and he goes, "You guys are from Canada, aren't you?" <laughs> no, <laughs> shivering in our underpants <laughs> on the beach, like swimming yeah. in we February. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's only Canadians who ever go swimming in February. Uh, so I get in the car, I check my email, and there's um, an email from my agent for the audition for, for Schitt's Creek. And I look at it and it says like, it's a, it, it was just called Levy Levy production. Like it hadn't been named yet, but it said, this is a Eugene Levy show and it's shooting in Toronto. And, you know, like everything just, it was um, the casting directors that really have my back here in Toronto were the ones that were casting it. And so I just started to read this email and I'm like, okay, 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 Th- this is just it felt like the some kind of page had turned and I was like if I don't get this part it's done. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do. So it really picked me up and I I like studied my ass off and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and then I went into the room and it was Dan Levy that was in the room, uh like sitting smugly on a couch, like Terrifying, terrifying. Had you known him before from just no, Toronto? No, no, no. I mean, I knew who who he was, and I'd watched the the after show and stuff. But, um, but I did the audition, and it was the first and only audition I've ever walked into and walked out of fully confident. Yeah, the that, only time you've ever come out and was like, I killed that. And you, you had another audition that afternoon, and you had another audition for some other thing. And she walked in and be like, I just killed that. And I was like. You want to skip your other edition? We're going to Palm Springs, and she's like, "We're going to Palm Springs." <laughs> ah, you blew up the other. Yeah, I did. It was feeling? terrible. It's a terrible thing to say. Yeah, um, shouldn't say that. But, but I was like, you know what? what? Let's just. So, so then I got a call. Actually, Dan called me a few days later to say that he loved the audition and and uh, that they wanted me to read for another role back in Toronto. So I went and auditioned for the other part in Toronto, and then I got a call to say that they wanted to test me for both of those parts and then so I went in and did the test in front of another group of very much nicer looking executives this was like the CBC execs as opposed to the NBC execs and they were all very warm and friendly and (laughs) awesome Um, but Eugene was in the room too with Dan and so you said to me, well, at least I'll get to meet Eugene Levy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I get out of this. Yeah, so um I, I tested and then it was two weeks of just nothing, like nothing, not nothing. Me like full of anxiety yeah. for two weeks, like literally holding my phone 
next to me at all times. There was was there like an amount of time where you're like, you know, I'll be fine. Like I'll start worrying after three days or two well, days. Well, yeah, I, or- I was like, I'm going to give myself, because it was on a Friday and I was like, I'll hear by Wednesday. Right. And I didn't hear all of that week. And I think it was the following Thursday that I got a call. And on my call display, it said Eugene Levy. And I died. <laughs> I died. And then uh, picked up the phone and it was actually Dan. And because I had come to terms, I was like, they're going to call me and they're going to say, thank you so much. You know, we, we fought for you, but it didn't work out. And, you know, it was going to be a thank you call as opposed to you got the part call. Um, and then, so it was Dan and I pick up the phone and he goes, hey, Annie, it's Dan. Um, I just wanted to call and thank you so much for auditioning. You did a great job. And... I just wanted to call and say how much we, we really enjoyed your audition. And then nothing. And then just, and then I was like, you're welcome. I had a really lovely time auditioning for you. No. And nothing, nothing, nothing. Just like pause, pause, pause. Just let you hang. Yeah, just let me hang. He knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, big time, big time. And then, and then he was finally like, uh, I do have just one quick question before I let you go. Uh, how would you like to play my sister? And I was like... I, lo- I obviously burst into tears, and um, I still burst into tears. Said, when I hear yeah. that story. That's such a phenomenal story. Were you <laughs> were you standing next to her when she was getting the call, or no? Um, I was at rehearsal or something, and then I came home, and it was Jake's birthday party, and oh, yeah. we we were living in Jake and Bianca's house for that time, actually, because we had, it was uh, another long story, but we were living with my grandparents that whole year because our house because our house down. burned down. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but so just there's it was the middle of winter and there's only so many um, grandparents, you know, days you could take, you know, especially someone. So we decided to live at Jake and Bianca's for a bit. Um, Jake, the drummer in Colorado. Yeah. And um, then so it was Jake's birthday party, right? Yeah. And so I came home to just celebrate the birthday party. And uh, the consolation, if any, didn't get the show was that she was going to come to on our European tour. Right. And so she came and she's like, I'm not going to Europe with you. <laughs> so that was it. Yeah. That's how you know. Yeah. That's and I cried for like three hours. Yeah. And then Menno, it was Menno's turn to cry like a little <laughs> wimpy baby. Yeah, right. hey, you know, you're talking about working with um, sort of Eugene Levy, yeah. Catherine Hara, these sort of Canadian yeah, yeah. legends. Um, this is where I'm t- testing out my segues. You guys have worked <laughs> with Dave Foley. How did that come about? How did you guys sort of like forge that relationship? Right. So for- we've known Dave for basically since we first started. He was, we, when we very first started the band, um, I somehow convinced the guys, I'm like, we're going to like book a tour and I'm just going to convince everyone to quit their jobs and be broke. And we're going to buy a van, use all the money we have and just hit the road and see if we can see what happens. So I booked a tour across Canada because I had contacts in Canada and uh, I booked like a few dates in um, in this in the west coast of the U.S. and then a couple in L.A. and I was like, okay, we'll just we'll just start with that and I'll book some more along the way. So we finally made it to L.A. and uh, we had a couple gigs and then I couldn't book anymore. I couldn't even really get us home. And uh, so we're like, what do we do? Where are we going to live? So we had a friend, John Kastner, who um, we had just kind of met him. He uh, he's just been a he's like he's like a grandfather of. Band He's gonna be thing. so angry. You said grandfather. grandfather. I mean, a spirit grandfather. <laughs> um, he's just one of those guys who's helped out every band, you know, just like um, 
really believes in in uh, bands he believes in. While we were there, John found us a couple shows, and one of them was just kind of last minute at a bar in LA called Spaceland. And because no one had heard of us, no one was there. But John was like, "I'll invite some of his friends." None of his friends came except for his one friend, Dave, who wow. was Dave Foley. So we were playing this show in L.A., just not knowing what we were doing, not really knowing what we were doing with our lives and such big fans of Dave and um, to this empty room and just John and Dave. So that was pretty cool. Um, and at the time, Dean and Jake weren't old enough to get into the club because <laughs> it was 21 plus. And so they'd let you play and then they kick you out right after. Um, so we had the van. So we sat in the van. We invited Dave in. We got a bunch of beers. I bought them because I was old enough. <laughs> and uh, we just sat in the van drinking with Dave. And um, we were, we had just found out that day or the day before that we got a, money to make a music video. So we're like, Dave, you want to be in the music video? And he'd had a few. So he was like, yeah, sure. As long as you fly me down, I'm in. And then um, he's a real supporter of music. He's like one of those people who really is in it for the right reasons. I wish this, there's a lot of bands I meet who aren't in it for the as good a reason as he is. He's just a music lover. Galore, he knows tons of bands. He uh, He's just helped us out along the way a million times. And as someone that's up for anything. Really like up for can, anything. Like he'll, he'll <laughs> I don't know if he'll do whatever, but he's really game to to make a bit of a dick of himself Yeah, we were like, for the uh, sake of, of comedy. A couple of years ago was our, one of our first headline show in Buffalo. And we were like, uh, tickets are moving kind of slow. It's a headline show. We really got to try and sell this out. Hey, Dave, if we uh, if we fly you to Buffalo, there's really <laughs> cheap flights. No, not first class. No economy <laughs> on like the back of a Southwest. Will you do a stand up set and open for us in Buffalo? He's like, yeah, no problem. Just shows up and you know does that's brilliant. Does well, that's such a great idea and amazing that he's willing to sort of just hop on a, a plane and, and get just, in there. He's a great guy. That's all I can say. We were talking about this before. You were saying that your label uh, just got four nominations at the Junos. Yeah, which is pretty phenomenal. What like led to you, I guess, starting that label and uh, so, doing taking everything in your own hands? I guess. Well, we've always been like you know do it ourselves. Uh, yep. As I said, just playing in punk bands, you kind of learn that that um, it's rare that someone comes along who cares more than you do. They do come along, and we've been lucky to uh, meet a couple of those kind of people, like our manager, um, who cares more than we do. But uh, those kind of people are really few and far between, so we've always kind of tried to do things ourselves until we find someone to do that job who cares more than us. Um, And so we found those people in certain aspects, but uh, I mean, basically, we couldn't find a label. When we finished our first record, um, no labels in Canada wanted to put it out, like really none. So we were like, well, then we'll put it out. Uh, so that was basically how, how it started. And um, then it went well with us. And we're like, well, let's see if we can use this to sign some other bands. And um, took it slow and really signed some acts that we really, really, truly believed in, like in every single every single facet of them as people and as a band um, and their music and their work ethic. Um, and that's, uh, it's starting to come to fruition. Do you find it difficult to sort of run a, the business of the label and also, you know, be a songwriter, be in a band and then oversee other bands and sort of their business as well, uh, being on the label. Do you find that difficult? That sort of, uh, it is, it is weird. It's two different hats, really two different hats. Um, and, um, one thing I find interesting about it is that I, I'm, I can't be, um, it's a word objective about my own band. It's impossible. So I'm playing in a band and I'm like telling people to do this. I'm like, okay, here, don't worry. Like uh, we'll get you an American record deal. No problem. I know how to do this. I can, I can do this, but I can't do it for my own band, <laughs> but I can figure it out for this other band. Just listen to what I say. So it's, it's, you know, especially before we had a track record of 
like being able to get these bands signed off and good American labels. I'm like, yeah, I, I know I really don't, probably not the best person to listen to, but I really know what I'm doing. Like, just trust me. This is, this is the right move. Do your own bandmates ever, I mean, is there ever the concern that it's like, we're spending too much time focusing on these other bands and maybe our band should be the priority? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, and that's a, it's a fair concern. Like when this latest project we've been doing, like we had to write 111 songs and, um, yeah. With the label this year also being the busiest year ever for the label, um, I didn't put as much time at the beginning as I needed to. And I'm lucky I have bandmates who are so talented and um, best buddies and super understanding, super supportive. Um, so they kind of really took up the slack, which has been great um, on this album of 111 songs. Not that I was ever in a position to write all of them, but like, uh, you know, Nick is singing and writing um, not quite half, but maybe about half of them. Like Dean and Jake are Dean's never sung a song before. He's singing like four <laughs> or five. Jake's got some great tunes on it that he did everything on it himself, from drums to guitar. Like I didn't even, I don't even, never even saw it until it was done. You know, it's like, yep, I just finished a Colorado song. You don't, it's done, and you didn't hear it or play on it or <laughs> write any one lyric. You know, like way to go, Jake. That's awesome. Is it easy so, for you to sort of uh, concede control? It like you're just like, yeah, let's, you know, you did the song, roll with it without sort of touching it. Uh yeah, it is it uh, it's hard at times. Oh no, I yeah, Annie's giving me a, the stink eye. <laughs> no, it's very, uh, I mean It's just more of a questioning face. Uh, no, but I think if there weren't 111 songs, if it was if it was like a normal regular old album length, it would be more difficult for you. It certainly would, but it's been a really good lesson for me because um relinquishing relinquishing a lot of that control and just realizing that everyone is super capable and I really have faith in um, what everyone's doing. Uh, it's been a great lesson that I think is, um, I'm 99, 90, I'm 94% sure it's going to trickle over to our, when we start our real album uh, in a couple weeks. Um, the first song, Firefly, uh, is about how, I guess your guys' condo burned down? It did. How, yeah. how did that, like, what happened there? We don't know. Luckily we weren't home because all our neighbors wanted to blame us. Oh, really? Yeah, we're like the, the youngest people in our sure. condo building and, uh, you know, have a different lifestyle from most of them. And so were we were, sure. it was like immediate, I'm sure, in every one of their brains, like these, he, these punks, like what the hell did they do? Like light all the cigarettes and then pass out from all the drinking. And, <laughs> it must cigarettes. have been the yeah, cigarettes exploding. And, yeah, but we actually still don't know what, it wasn't anyone being an asshole. It was some kind of like freakish, sun refracting through a vase lighting dead flowers on fire and like it could and have been as weird line. and just some like insane confluence yeah. of events that couldn't be predicted yeah. or prevented and totally. or i mean the shitty building of the condo like the our actual apartment right. you know it just like it would go went up, up. Kindle, right? yeah. and then also uh we found out that the the material that our deck was made out of was petroleum based so as soon as the firefighters shot water on it it basically exploded right yeah so um, they, when they came in it was maybe salvageable apparently the fire you could, you could have kind of salvage it. it would just be the deck and the you know a little bit of the top floor but once they did that the like, whole building was just like and it was an inferno like it yeah. there a picture we didn't actually get to see uh, and I think luckily didn't get yeah. to see uh, the extent of it because by the time we got there it was out basically out yeah 
I mean, emotionally, was it like you guys, did you lose everything? Was it completely yeah. dead? Like, how did you feel? Like, walking, you guys, did you get a call? Were you away? How did you? It's pretty funny. The call was from Nick, as usual. So, um, no, it was from Joel first. Oh, yeah, Joel Clifton. Yeah. And then, ex Dino Bones guy for the local. Yeah. So, we were just at, the, like, we were at my parents' cottage for the weekend. It was this beautiful weekend, and we were super relaxed and coming back into town. And like, we had a meeting. With Mark Riccardelli, because we are going, Mark and I were going to go through old footage of uh, Holland being bombed uh, for the So It Goes video. Yeah. So we were looking through old footage, like stock footage, and um, of things on fire. Of things on fire. And Mark and I were wow. talking about it to each other, like, wouldn't it be nuts if just someone drops a bomb in your house and it's all gone? You wouldn't be so mad. And five, it was five minutes later, we were actually having that conversation. And, and, and then I get a call from my buddy Joel, our buddy Joel, and like poor guy to be in that position. He was like, Hey Annie, um, your place is on fire. Um, I'm so sorry. And I was like, what? And he was like, I, I just wanted to tell you, like you guys should probably get here. And so like, we just knew that like, we didn't know anything else. And we were on the East end of town, of course, in like rush hour and, so Nick lived right around the, the corner at this point. And so I call Nick uh, to get like an account of what's going on. And of course, Nick being Nick is like, Annie, it's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Um, it's just, I think you guys probably won't be able to sleep there tonight. But, <laughs> you can stay at our place. But like, yeah, it's going to be cool. And then, so I was like, oh, Menno, it's like, to me, it was just some scorched yeah, I was area like, of our deck or something. And I was thinking, Nick, I was like, oh, hey, like you put it out, right? Like you went and dealt with it. Like it's done now. Like, I, th- I kind of thought like Nick had dealt with it. And then we <laughs> we like <laughs> so pull up. Way, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like someone went in there. One of our friends just like figured it out. Yeah, so we pull, pull up to this like smoldering ruin of a building. Like 15 fire trucks. Yeah, and like all of our shit, it was our entire, like the fire ate up our entire bedroom, bathroom and then all of our stuff on the bottom floor was sm- like smoke and water damaged beyond right. repair. A couple things. A couple things we kept, like plates. Yeah, we could keep our. We plates, owned plates, some of our plates after that, and uh, and a guitar. A guitar made it. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is awesome. One of the firemen, as I was, because after it was all, they 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 kind of got it safe, and you could go in because the bottom floor wasn't completely gone. They're like, and the fridge was there. They're like, go in and see if you have any. Um, See if you have any medicine or anything, and you can grab your computer. And my computer was in there. I didn't have it with me for some reason. So weird that I didn't have it with me. Um, And so I was going to see if that would work. It didn't. (laughs) Uh, But uh, so I went to grab it, and um, oh, we had a bottle of whiskey that was in the fridge. Yeah. So we literally (laughs) grabbed like a guitar and a bottle of Jameson and some plates and some plates, and that was it. One fireman, as we were going up, because he just security is like, that was a really nice guitar wrapped in a blanket, and I put it under under the table. So I guess as he came in, and like once it was you know a little safer, so it didn't get trashed with all the hoses and stuff. He like. Just wrapped it in a blanket and put it under a table. Oh, that's that was, fascinating. I thought that was pretty. Must cool. be a guitar player. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah he said he was. Um, that's a lot to go through, and I know you were saying, Annie, that Menno went down. He's gone down to L.A. for pilot season, and yeah. I know that you've toured with Colorado. You've gone on the road with them. As yeah, well. I have. Um, <laughs> it's super fascinating to me that, like, you know, you guys are sort of in this uh, unique business. The arts, you know, you're touring with the band, you have a record label, you're acting. I guess my question is, first of all, how'd you guys meet? Because I mean, it's just such a, a, an interesting thing to sort of. 
both come up together like this. So, so it's kind of a juicy story. Ooh. Yeah, it's not that juicy. No, it's not really that juicy. Um, <laughs> I was I was dating uh, Nick, who's in Colorado. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. hey-oh. Uh, yeah, Nick and I dated for like five years uh, from like 15 to 20-ish. So uh-huh. we grew up together, basically. And Menno was the older dude down the street. Like he and Nick oh, lived on the same. <laughs> Just to frame, you guys are no. you're all from Ottawa, right? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So Nick and Menno lived on the same street. So Menno was always <laughs> like, and Menno was in bands and touring. And so, like, Nick took me to a, a show in Hull. I'd never met <laughs> I Menno before. This. I was 15 years old, and it like completely illegal to be in this sketchy, terrible bar called Le Bop in Hull. It's probably closed down. Um, <laughs> but I saw Menno play and I was like, I was. I just thought he was the dreamiest thing I'd ever seen, Marv. but he was an old man. Like it, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a serious crush because it didn't seem he plausible. was 22 and I was 15. And, and so those, like, that's a very huge age gap in those days. Um, so he just kind of like came and went and then. Yeah, we didn't see each other for, I mean, not that that was a, triumphant meeting or anything but did you meet her that night uh i mean vaguely in passing right do you recall it all or vaguely right right that's our that's our first (laughs) (laughs) i remember it very well i remember it um anyway so like right around the time nick and i broke up which was not a bad breakup it was just a we've been dating for five years and we're really little still and like need to see the world um so Menno and Nick had started Colorado right around that time. So Menno was kind of in the my picture a little bit more. So we met. So we met, and then and then we started hanging out. Yeah, and, and it was hard for a bit. Yeah, it was I mean, hard. Was for difficult. A bit. Well, yeah, it wasn't easy on Nick. That's for sure. He was- so you and Nick, like you had this relationship. Had had your band started yet with Nick? Like, had you been? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we'd been. Uh, yeah, Colorado had been together, and like you know, I thought it might be. It was, you know, it was kind of a risk. It was a it was a strain on the band for sure, but um, we're really just best buds, and like we we were able to get through it and like be and totally that, stronger. Like if that situation is going to happen with anyone, thank God it was with Nick because he's just he's, he's really practical. Yeah. And like once he realized that it wasn't just me being like, look what I'm doing. Sure. Um, yeah, that's that was really important. Like, we, I, it wasn't yeah. just like us being jerks. When you guys realized that there was something going on, did you like? Did you hesitate? Did you consider not getting together? Like totally, was, big time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a like, <laughs> it's a it's an intense thing to to do to someone you care about so much is just start dating your friend, his friend. Yeah, like it, that's a it's a, it's a weird situation to be in. Yeah. Um. So yeah, definitely we had our reservations. But yeah, yeah. Nick it, was the first person I asked if I could marry you. <laughs> and anyway, and now Nick is like happily married, and we're all we all we see each other. All of us hang out like a disgusting amount Six times and, a week. Sure, yeah. But once everyone so, becomes adults and things yeah, settle yeah, down, yeah, yeah, you yeah. realize how sort of these things, you know, they heal themselves. Yeah, and, yeah. certainly yeah. time and uh, time and patience and understanding. Yeah. So that, that's what that's, happened. That's, that's that story. It's great. It was a, and it was a little juicy, actually. Oh, yeah, it was a little juicy. Yeah, yeah when I, I think I wrote a few songs for Nick about that, about that whole thing. That was nice of you. Yeah. <laughs> Did they make a Colorado record? One of, them, one of my favorite songs I've written ever called 
uh, Age of Communication. Uh, it was on record. It was on Demo in a Bag Five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's one of my favorite ones. So, oh, it was a bonus song on White Paint also. Okay. So that one. Um, being a couple in the industry, uh, do you ever run lines with her? Do you ever talk to him about songs? <laughs> Tell us, Menno. What what do you do? Uh, running lines, yeah. So self tapes are a big thing if you're an actress, if you're an aspiring actress, and. Um, <laughs> For a while, I refused to do them uh, because I was sure I was the reason Annie wasn't getting this gig. <laughs> and and like, I, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still not a hundred percent sure that that's why. Yeah. I, like, I'm pretty sure that maybe I could have gotten a couple of those parts because <laughs> Menno, like, as talented as he is. For like many, many, many things, he's very talented. Thank you, uh, but not acting, <laughs> not acting. Yeah, uh, I try though. And he just gets incredibly frustrated. It's like a real nightmare of an experience doing a self tape with Menno because he he's so aware that this is not his strong suit that he gets angry, not at me, but at himself for not being able to do a good job at my self tape. So. And, um, Luckily, I got this job. And- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, I know. Uh, well, there was never a self tape involved in this job. No, there wasn't. So that's why they're all <laughs> in the room auditions. The, yeah. the self tapes. I just feel like they'll they'll hear the reader and they'll be like, "This actress has friends that are this terrible. <laughs> she can't be good." Yeah. And have you ever showed her a song, asked her advice? So- oh, all the time. Any helps on lyrics all the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've written a couple of lyrics oh, in my yeah. day. Yeah, Good Day at the Races is like a good chunk. There's a few key lines in there that are Annie's. I would say full verses. 40%? I would say 60%. <laughs> Here we go. Um, but yeah, we like, you know, it's, it's really cool to be... I, I'm so happy Mono's not an actor. I mean, first of all, because he, he wouldn't be. the worst. <laughs> no, but like, I'm I'm glad that we're we're not in the exact same industry, but we're in this kind of the same business. Yeah, you understand each other's world, you know, without like, yeah. being directly in the same branch of exactly. entertainment. Exactly. So, so yeah, it, and it's fun, you know. Just weird because we never really knew that either of us would actually be in these. Worlds when we when we were got together, you know, like I was fully expecting to, I don't know, God knows what I would do if I didn't do this, but some other job. And um, you know, there's been many moments um, not too long ago when you were pretty sure that I, that the arts was not going to be your career. Yeah. So it's pretty. It's just kind of a, a, a fortunate circumstance that we've for for right now that it, that it is both of our careers. Max, you want to add anything? You've been uh, so I'm diligent magic. over there. Matt, yeah, thanks. Day. Can't wait. The podcasts are so fun. We love listening to them all the time. And <laughs> Are we done? We're done. Okay. We're done. Shane, how's it going, man? Pretty well. How are you, Mike? I'm good. I like pretty well. That's, yeah. that's an improvement over last episode. Yeah, every day I'm getting better. <laughs> that's the hope for all of us. Yes, that's right. Shane looks like Hunter Thompson right now, by the way. He has sunglasses I inside. feel like Hunter S. Thompson right now. <laughs> I'm sensitive to light. <laughs> Since when? <laughs> always. Really? Yeah. I guess you do wear your sunglasses. You always ask me about it. Like, Shane, why are you always wearing them? To look cool? Or you, like... Yeah. You do look cool, though. That's... Yeah, that's 50% of it. But 50% is actually for eye, light eye reasons. The lighter your eyes are, the more sensitive you are to light. You're sensitive to light and questions about your sunglasses. Yes. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> so, uh, how's your week been? Tell us what you've been up to. You seen any good movies? <clears throat> no. Um... <laughs> 
pop culture expert. Uh, What'd you do last night, Shane? I was on uh, a dating site, I'll call it. Uh, and I went on a date. Okay, wait. So you're on Tinder. Okay, yes. You match with this girl. Yes. Uh, is, she, is she funny in the comments when you start going back and forth? Well, she wouldn't talk to me for a lot. Like some of them on, uh, you got to work on them. So it's like I've had people, I've sent them 12 messages, which again makes me seem a little psychotic, but, and they haven't responded. And then just keep trying. Well, I don't know. I'm bored. All I said was just go on a date with me. And she, and she goes, fine. Just one word says fine. That's so that was the winning text. That was the winning one. Yeah. You know, because it's a uh, mood too. Maybe she's bored one day and she's like, okay, I'll slum it with this Shane person for a while. <laughs> so uh, now they it's connected to Instagram. So Tinder used to just be five pictures and you're done. Now you I'm going through like tons. I'm like, holy shit, this girl is absolutely loaded. Like <laughs> like rich. She's not like hammered in every photo, but uh, <laughs> Oh, so she's rich. Okay. She has a lot of money. So you can tell this from the Instagram. You can first. tell it so clearly. So I'm a pretty blunt person. I'm like, oh, you're a rich girl, aren't you? Just haha. And she's like, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, and then I was like, well, where do you want to go on the first date? She's like, I could go to McDonald's and be happy with it. <laughs> And that's such like an overcompensation for a definite rich girl. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I was on guard and I'm like, I really don't want to spend a lot. I don't have a lot of money. I know she does. And uh, I'm probably going to get sucked into her world more than she's going to get sucked into mine. So I say, uh, let's go to local, which for me, that's a very high end expensive place kind of for me it's, it's in liberty village it's right? in liberty village and uh to me that's like taking a girl on a nice date a really nice date and then she's like okay liberty village and i like in her tone she put an exclamation mark but i could tell she was like faking it so then an hour before the date she's like are we really going to uh local <laughs> I'm like, yeah, why? What's wrong? The whole McDonald's speech really moved me. Why? What's going on? <laughs> She's like, the food there is shit. I'd rather eat a McDonald's. I was like, okay. I was like, you're lucky I didn't take you to Warehouse. She's like, Warehouse is the shit. I love it there. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's $5. So I'll do that for sure. Like, that's cheaper now. For our listeners out so of town, I'm- Warehouse uh, has a $5 menu. You, you can Everything on the menu is $5. So yeah. I'm sucked in. Like, that's the trick. Like, the old bait and switch. I'm like, oh, perfect. She's like, I work near Warehouse. I'm like, I work near Warehouse. It's right across from where we work, you know? So yesterday, uh, as you know, uh, you were commenting, Mike, when I came into work, that I wore my extra large Toronto Raptors shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were like an XXL. And I'm wearing a shitty hat because I'm like, whatever. Then she's like, oh, instead of Warehouse, what if we go to Earl's? I'm like, Earl's, that sounds like a cool, like, burger place for truckers or whatever. (laughs) You've never heard of Earl's? No. It's this place for, like, Bay Street douchebag types. You know, guys who wear sport jackets and nice shoes and stuff. So now I have to go home and wash a shirt, like a... um, I actually just threw it... I didn't wash it. I threw it in the dryer to get the wrinkles out with some ice cubes. (laughs) I, I wore this shirt and took off my hat and, like, made my hair look nice and showed up and then... Went to the bar, had a $10 beer when I got there. She, she, was, she was pretty on time. So who I, covered the bill? 
I covered the bill. And she acted like she might cover the bill. And throughout the thing, she's like, I actually like making more money than my men. <laughs> she's like, it's an ego thing. I just like to always have more money. I'm like, sweet, she might pay for the bill. <laughs> but then she's like, I was on a date once and the guy didn't pay for the bill or he wanted to go splitsies. So I just walked out and said I was going to the washroom and left. I'm she like, told you that? Yes. Which is a hard contradiction of what she just said. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm right now. And then she's like, uh, another Caesar, please. <laughs> another Caesar. I get another drink. The bill. Oh my God. I'm How much so, was it? I guess. Uh, 120 bucks. It was like $175. Oh, oh. I hate myself. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I just, I couldn't even look at it. I knew it was going to be a lot. I just flipped over the bill. Didn't look. Put in my uh, debit card, punched in got declined. 20% tip, got declined, <laughs> washed dishes all night. <laughs> As she laughed at me for being a peasant. And then, yeah, went home and jerked off. But yeah, that, <laughs> that was your date. That was my date, yes. Wow. Are you going to go on another date? Oh, yeah. She's pretty hot. <laughs> <laughs> Shady is back. Did he ever leave? Uh, <laughs> Oh my god! Good times. Well, uh, do you ha- have you seen any movies? Can you talk to us? <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford a movie right now, Mike. Can I borrow your scene points? That's it. That's all. That's the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. A special thank you to Men Over Steeg. Special thank you to Annie Murphy. They were great guests. They were great guests. Great marriage. <laughs> great. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm not there every day. I don't know what their marriage is like. Yes. Great marriage. <laughs> Seems like a great marriage. <laughs> Warms my heart, you know. It shows that it can happen. Yeah. People can do it. People can do it. Yeah. Thanks again to Shane for coming on and uh, sharing his tales of woe. You can follow us. You can follow us on Twitter at MikeOnMuch and on Instagram at MikeOnMuch. Our website is much.com slash MikeOnMuch. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. All of the artwork you see for the Mike on Much podcast is done by Jenna Gregory. You can find yourself at jennasdoodles.com. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman, and I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend. <laughs>